You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning and welcome to you. Um, if you happen to be a guest with us, you're, you're watching as a guest, taking this in as the guest, whatever. We're so grateful that you're joining us this morning and joining with our church family in worshiping and seeking God together. So if you caught the highlights portion of what Pastor Jerry talked about earlier in our service, once again, we just want to remind you there's a survey that we sent out this last week about our online worship experience. And we would love to hear your input because we're seeking ways to make that better and more impactful. And we would welcome your input on that. And just want to give you a heads up as well that this coming week we'll have another survey for you. And this one will be about small groups because especially in this season, small groups are critical to us as a community. And so we want to get your input on whether you're involved in one and how we can best help you make that connection. So that being said, we are in a study of the gospel of Matthew and we've just started into um, really this section on the Sermon on the Mount. And as I was thinking about where we're going to be going this morning, I was reminded of something that, that happened to me some, some time ago. And I mentioned this on my Facebook sermon preview earlier this week and I'll finish the story that I was, was telling there. But it was a day not unlike today and not unlike the many days we've been having. It was a beautiful, sunny summer day and we're going to get another one of those today. And on this particular sunny summer day, I found myself in this seminary classroom, on this seminary campus, in this seminary building, looking out this seminary window at this epic, beautiful, sunny day and quite honestly, wishing that I was out in it rather than sitting in a classroom. Now, don't tell any of my seminary professors that, and don't tell Gary Brashears, although he already knows, and no, it wasn't his class that day. But all that being said, here I am in this class. I'm kind of daydreaming a little bit. My mind is wandering, because I see this beautiful day, and I want to be out in it. And then the professor who was teaching the class brought us to this very passage that you and I are going to wrestle with here today. And then he began to explain what it meant, as we're about to read, that Jesus fulfills the law. And quite honestly, as I told you in my Facebook sermon preview earlier this week, this was a defining moment for me in my spiritual life. It was a defining moment in my relationship with the Lord. Because all of a sudden, all these dots began to connect for me. Because one of the realities of Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament law is not just that he defines the law and yes, he perfectly kept the law with what he exampled to us, but also though, the law is all about him. In fact, the entire Bible is all about him. You know, so often our world on the outside looking in takes a look at the Bible and says, oh, you know, it's a, it's a compendium. It's a collection of, of ethics and morality and do's and don'ts. No, no, no. It is, it is so much more than that. The Bible is a unified story. And it's a story about this amazing God. And it's a story about Jesus. Jesus is literally in every single book of the Bible. He's either alluded to, he's referenced, he's predicted, he's promised. And it's absolutely remarkable because when you begin to understand that the Bible is God's story, 
You read it entirely differently. It impacts you entirely differently. You understand it entirely differently. You begin to realize that as the Bible opens up and we have our attention called to this man, Abraham, who God gives all these amazing promises to, that Jesus is ultimately the greater Abraham who will fulfill all those promises that were originally given to him. And then you realize that Jesus is the greater Moses. That Moses points to a greater Moses who will free his people from enslavement and bring them to freedom. And then you realize that Jesus is the greater Esther who will put his life on the line to save his people. And that Jesus is the greater David. That he is the true Davidic king who will always reign and rule forever. And on it goes. The entire Bible is about Jesus. Every book of the Bible points to Jesus. And that is in part what it means that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. But it's so much more than that. You see, what we're going to study today, what we're going to wrestle with and learn about together today is a game changer. Because it not only helps us understand what the Bible is about, it not only helps us understand what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, it not only helps us understand how much God loves us and what he has done for us, it not only helps us understand his kingdom, it speaks directly to our lives. And so that's where we're going to go today. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And let's look at these amazing verses together. There aren't many, but they are loaded with reality for us. And this is what it says. Jesus saying, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now there is a lot packed in to those verses for us and we're going to spend a lot of our time, most of our time, on these first opening verses because they're so significant for us. Jesus comes right out and says, I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Which is really interesting to me because it makes me wonder, why did Jesus say this in this way? And I think one of the reasons why he says this right out of the gate is that people were actually questioning that. I mean, if you were with us in these prior weeks when we walked through the Beatitudes and, and Sean's incredible sermon on that passage, there's some pretty amazing things that Jesus is saying there. And some people, and certainly many of the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, were wondering, who is this guy? And what is he saying? And, and what is he saying about the law? And then he comes out and says, I haven't come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. The law is all about me. I not only keep the law, I define what the law is about. 
And what Jesus says about the law is remarkable. We're going to be seeing that in these coming weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, let's just think about one of the things he talks about. He talks about generosity. In Matthew chapter 5, which we'll get to here in just a couple weeks, he talks about being incredibly generous. Are you generous? Am, am I generous? Are we generous in the way that Jesus talks about, to the depth and degree that Jesus talks about? Because he will talk about being so generous that your right hand doesn't know how much your left hand is giving away and vice versa. That we are to be so generous that we sometimes have to remind ourselves in a sense that we need to keep some for ourselves. We can't give it all away. Uh, do you know anyone who's that generous? And this seems like an impossible command. But, but, but it's not. Jesus is calling us and telling us and showing us not only what the law always originally meant, but that this life is possible for you and me to live out through his empowerment and presence in our life. Wow. Who, who lives like that? Not religious people. Did you see that final verse in verse 20? Where he said, your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were pretty religious, very moral, and yet their hearts were wrong. Yes, they honored the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. And that is what Jesus is calling them back to. You see, empty religion does not enable you to be that type of generous person because your heart's not right. Because he will go on to single out the religious leaders in the Sermon on the Mount and talk about, yeah, don't be like them. Because when they are generous, it's so they get credit for it. It's not really about others. It's actually all about them. And that's not what life in the kingdom is, is all about. Jesus is describing a community of people and individuals who have been rehardwired to just live like this, to be extravagantly generous in, in this example we're talking about. Not just because they have to, but because they want to. It's second nature to them. That is a pretty remarkable inside-out transformation. How in the world is that possible? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is not only our example, he is our empowerment. But all that gets kind of confusing when you begin to think about how all this ties together. And to really understand this, we have to go back to the very beginning and see what it truly means that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. You see, the Bible starts out describing Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden in perfect relationship with one another and with God and they choose to disobey and not trust God and that's when sin and death and disease and decay and disaster enters the world. And rather than just leaving things that way, God chooses to do something about it. He puts into motion this divine rescue plan and he promises in the very beginning of the Bible and of this story. In Genesis 3.15, he says that there will be a snake-crushing chosen Messiah who will come 
who when he comes will set all wrongs right. He will restore shalom, the way the things were always intended to be by God. And, and that this is going to happen. This is a prophecy. It's a, it's a promise. And then this guy Abraham appears on the scene. And if you were with us in our Genesis series, you know, last year, we, we studied all through this. But this guy Abraham is chosen by God to be blessed by God, to have this relationship with God. And all these promises are made to him. And this is basically the basis of, of what Abraham is told. He's, he's told to be loyal to God. He's told to trust God. He's told to keep God's way by practicing righteousness and justice. And he's to look to the Lord's provision of the promised Messiah. And so this is, these are the promises. This is the covenant. This is what was entered into between God and Abraham and how Abraham was expected to live. And then you have Moses comes along and the law is given to Moses and the people at Mount Sinai. And this is what the law was intended to be. Greater definition of what this right relationship with God and other people really looks like. And so the law was intended to guide people with even more specifics of the kind of relationship God wanted between them and him and them and one another. That they were to continue to practice justice and righteousness. And once again, this would come to complete fulfillment when Messiah came. And Jesus appears on the scene and what does he say? I am the Messiah. I am the one who fulfills all of this. And so, how does all this work together? Because honestly, it's still kind of confusing. Because yes, Jesus fulfills the law, but there are parts of the law that still carry over for us today. And something that some folks have done to, to help us with this is to say, okay, well think of the law this way. There was the ceremonial parts of the law, there were the civic parts of the law, and then there was the moral parts of the law. And the moral parts are what carry over for us today. Now that's helpful to a degree, but no self-respecting Jew would ever divide the law into those kind of quadrants. So again, that doesn't fully help us understand how, how all this works together. Yes, the moral parts of the law carry over, but the bottom line again is the bottom line of what we're reading in this passage. That if we want to understand how the law relates to us today, we have to look at it through Jesus. How did Jesus fulfill the law? By way of example, we don't practice those purity parts of the law anymore because Jesus makes us pure through right relationship with him. We don't practice animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that all those sacrifices pointed to. But we don't get to that point until we look at that through the lens of how Jesus fulfills it. And oftentimes we will hear about this confusion when our broken world looks at the Bible, reduces it to a series of do's and don'ts and ethics and morality, and doesn't look at it through the lens of who Jesus is and what he's done. And this comes up actually quite often, this confusion about how all this works together, the Abrahamic promises and the law and Jesus. Oftentimes it comes up when it comes to sexuality because you'll hear this every so often in our culture. Well, we can eat bacon now, which was prohibited in the Old Testament law. Pigs were unclean animals. We can eat bacon now, so therefore we can have sex with whoever we want. The, the, you know, the two kind of go hand in hand. And yet, God's standard for blessing 
and protection and provision in our sexuality has always been that the only sexualized relationship he blesses is one man and one woman as husband and wife in a covenant relationship for life. Do you realize how much falls outside of that when it comes to sexuality? So, pornography, friends with benefits, living together, adultery, and yes, same-sex relationships, all that falls outside of God's design and what God wants for us. And it's not just this unbelieving world, this broken world around us that doesn't know God that is confused about this. Sometimes we're confused too. In a recent poll by the Pew Research Foundation, 46% of Jesus followers who they polled said it is okay for a couple to have sex as long as they're committed to each other. Or to put that another way, it's okay to have sex as long as you love one another. But what will Jesus go on to say in the Sermon on the Mount? It's not just if you're having sex with anyone who is your husband or wife that's broken and sinful. He will go on to say if you even think about that, if you even think about having sex with someone who's not your husband or wife, that's broken too. And so Jesus comes in and he defines and helps us understand what God always intended in our relationships with him and with one another. And he says some pretty radical stuff. But the bottom line is if we want to understand what Jesus is saying, if we want to understand how he fulfills the law, then we need to look at his example. We need to listen to what he says. We need to trust and obey what he calls us to. So, so let's cut to the chase and get to some practicality with this. So, how do we enter the kingdom of God based on what Jesus is saying here? And again, the kingdom of God being God's people in God's place under God's reign and rule. So, how do you become one of God's people? Well, you believe. You see, God's acceptance of you and me isn't based on our resume. It's not based on what we do or what we don't do. God's acceptance of us is based on what he has done for us and how we respond to that. And belief is one of those words that's very elastic for us. Some weeks ago, I had the, the blessing, the honor of performing a memorial service um, for a member of our church family who went home to be with the Lord. Her name was Charlotte Johnson. And the passage that the family wanted us to, to walk through and think about together at the graveside was John 3.16. And this is familiar to, to a number of you. You know, oftentimes back in the day when we had live sporting events, real in-person sporting events, and that would be telecast, you'd see someone, you know, in the end zone holding up this huge sign with John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. That's the passage we talked about together. And we talked about this reality that in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, when it talks about belief, in the original language, it's always followed by this preposition that says into. It literally says believe into. Now, we don't talk like that, so it always just says, like in John three sixteen, whoever believes. But it was understood that belief is more than just mental assent. Belief is utter dependence. It's always married to action, which means if you believe in Jesus Christ, you enter his kingdom through that means. 
You believe that he loves you, that he gave his life for you to free you from brokenness and sin and to bless your life, to bring you into right relationship with him. And that's how it goes. But the Gospel of John also has another important verse for us to understand what it means to believe and enter the kingdom of God. It says, it says this, John 17, 3 says, now this is eternal life, to know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That word know describes the knowing, the deepest level of intimacy that happens between a husband and a wife. You see, Charlotte and her husband, Wayne, had been married 71 years. And Wayne, I, I know you're watching this this morning, brother, and I'm so sorry for your loss. I can't imagine how much you miss your Charlotte. 71 years of knowing someone, not knowing about them, knowing them. And that type of intimacy is the type of intimacy that God wants with you and me. He doesn't want you to just know about him. He wants you to know him the way he knows you. So we enter this amazing kingdom through belief in what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection. But this is about entering the kingdom, but it also helps us understand about what it means to live the kingdom. Jesus is our example, but he's also our empowerment. But unfortunately, we don't always buy into that or believe that. So often we can treat God's kingdom, we can treat our relationship with God like it's a taco bar. And you've been to a taco bar before. You know, you walk up and here's everything laid out for you and you get to pick and choose what you want. And you know, if it's me, you know, I'm gonna pass on the tomatoes, yuck. I'm gonna pass on the cucumbers, gross. I'm gonna pass on the okra. Who has okra at a taco bar? I just had to put that in there. You know, I'm gonna pick and choose what I like and what I don't like. And so often we reduce our relationship with God to that as well. But that's not what it means to live for the kingdom. Because you see, when we pick and choose, we have to realize that partial obedience is still disobedience. God calls us to trust and obey him all the time. In all circumstances. In all situations. Whether we feel like it or not. So, are you living that way this morning? Are you picking and choosing how you will obey and trust God and how you won't? My friends, you don't have to settle for that. That's one of the incredibly encouraging things about this passage that we're wrestling with here this morning is yes, Jesus is our example, but he's our empowerment. We can trust and obey him. We can live the very life he describes in the Sermon on the Mount and that he calls us to. And it is a life of blessing and joy and happiness and fulfillment. I had the chance to go out on the river um, on the Columbia here a couple days ago. It's the end of salmon season. I guess the last weekend of this month is the final end, but this was the last full weekend. And my friend Vinny, Sylvia, took me out on his boat. We got up at oh dark 30. The sun wasn't even up. We were out on the river before the sun came up. And it is, it is a spiritual experience. It is a worship experience to be on the Columbia in a boat and to see the sun come up over it. I mean, it was just epic. And we had such a great day of fishing. You know, later in the day, I tied into this one salmon and my line was out about 30 feet and this salmon hit it 
and took it. And in three seconds, it went from 30 feet to 180 feet. My reel went, you know, just like you would imagine in a great fish story. And he broke the line. My friends, this was 65 pound test line. And he is still probably on his way up the river, probably in Idaho by now with that entire line and all the rigging. I mean, it was, it was remarkable. It was a huge fish. He must have been, he must have been a whale, right? This is a fish story. But all that being said, that wasn't the best part of the day. The best part of the day was being with my man Vinny. And when you have six hours with someone on a little boat, you get to talk about a lot of things. And we got to talk about what his life was like before he entered the kingdom of God through receiving Jesus Christ into his life as his Lord and Savior. And what a powerful story. And the point being that his life now is so distinctly different than his life then. And because it's his story to tell, I won't give you more detail than that, but I can tell you, he is distinctively different. Because he's chosen to trust and obey God, and his life has been changed. My friends, we are called to live distinctively and differently than this broken world around us. And if you remember back to last week, and if you didn't get a watch last week, please watch that recording. It was the celebration of our Mission Sunday and all these things God's doing around the world. But one of the things Jonathan Martin reminded us about and called us to was this reality of forgiveness. That's our side of the street as Jesus followers. Do you realize Christianity is really the only quote-unquote religion or worldview that truly practices and tries to live out forgiveness? Is that you? Do you forgive someone when they hurt you deeply? When they wrong you? Or even when they betray you? Who lives like that? Not religious people. But Jesus followers do. Because you see, my friends, it's not a question of if someone's going to wrong you someday. It's a question of when. And yes, forgiveness is a process and there's layers to it and sometimes we oversimplify it and it takes time. But the reality is, if we're living the kingdom, if Jesus truly is the fulfillment of the law, if Jesus really is the one who empowers us and meets us when we need him the most, you can choose to forgive someone and then make that an anchor point that you live out. That's one of the many things that define us as, as Jesus followers. Because again, this is about remembering the kingdom. Remembering what God has done for you and me. Do you realize that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. Back to the forgiveness issue. Why does Jesus call us to forgive other people who wrong us? Because what has he done for you? What has he done for me? He's forgiven us. Why does Jesus call us to be generous people in the Sermon on the Mount? Because hasn't he been generous? Extravagantly generous to you? How can Jesus call us to give mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it? Because you didn't deserve his mercy when he gave it to you. And so it goes. Jesus is not only our example, he's our empowerment. And when he asks us to live out the kingdom, it's because we're living in response to what he's already done for us. 
And one of the amazing things about God's word, and I think something for us to tuck away, is that God's word is always telling his people to remember. Remember what he's done for you. Remember who he is. Remember his promises. Over and over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. Old Testament to new, it says that over again. Why? Because if you're like me, you tend to forget. You tend to forget what God has done for you. You know, if you've been with us and worshiping with us through this season of COVID, periodically I've, I've shown you this, this little book. This is what I call my thank you journal. And I consistently, certainly not every day, but consistently try to capture at least three things that day that God has done in my life. And the reason I'm showing you this book once again is because it's done. I've, I've filled it. There's two years of life that are reflected in this book. And I read it through this morning and was reminded of some really hard things. Two years of crisis. In fact, the last two years, at least to this point, are probably the most difficult two years I've ever experienced in my life. Losing three loved ones in a span of a couple weeks. Financial crises. Emotional crises. Incredible stress. Like you, COVID. And all that that has brought with it. And struggles. And heartache. And pain. But you know what else? This little book has helped me remember the overwhelming amount of support that my family and I got when we lost those three people the cards the meals the calls the contacts the presence of you in our lives incredible financial provision at times that we just had no idea it was coming and there it was peace in the midst of that crisis a deeper intimacy with God and with each other and as a family because of the heartache that we've walked through together these last couple years. And some incredible moments of joy, you know, graduations, walking my daughter down the aisle of this very auditorium and on this very stage getting to give her away just a couple of weeks ago, a number of weeks ago, to a son-in-law who we love and are so glad is now part of our family. Answered prayer, tons of answered prayer, specific answered prayer. Because I've chosen to remember that. And if you heard and listened carefully to what I just described, one list is significantly longer than the other. Because God's word and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 reminds us we are to be thankful not for all things, but in all things. And this God is faithful and there's always things to be thankful for if we'll remember them. Because this God asks us to remember the reality that he keeps his promises. He does exactly what he says he will do. And that he loves us. 
And the crowning point of his divine rescue mission was what he did on the cross. And so I want to ask you now to get the elements of communion and to gather those as we prepare to, to celebrate and remember what he's done for us together. You see, one of the realities of Jesus fulfilling the law is that he actually fulfilled the law twice. You see, there's, there's two ways to really fulfill a law. You obey it, or if you break it, you pay it. You pay for it and pay for the consequences. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law, but was punished for breaking it, even though he never did. Because he wasn't being punished for what he personally did. He was taking the punishment on himself of what all of us have done and did. All of us are sinful people. No one starts out in the kingdom of God. We are united in our brokenness. But this amazing God, because he kept the law, defined the law, ultimately fulfilled the law, offers to remove our brokenness from us and in return and in exchange give us his righteousness, his power for right living. And so that's why it says here in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness because by his wounds you have been healed. So would you remember with me how he has healed us? Would you once again choose to believe with me that he is who he says he is, he has done what he said he will do, and he is the God who keeps his promises? And if you have never entered the kingdom of God before, you're not sure, make this that moment where you choose to believe, not just with your head, but with your heart, and choose to trust him as your Lord and Savior. So let's, let's do all that together. Our worship team is going to come and we are going to respond to this amazing God and what he has done for each one of us. And as they do, we're going to put on the screen before you these very realities we've talked about, but we're going to frame them deliberately as questions. And we'd like you to just take some time now as part of this communion time to think these through. Have you entered the kingdom of God? By choosing to believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you? And if you have, are you living the kingdom? Are you picking and choosing how you will trust and obey or are you choosing to fully trust and obey him? And are you remembering the kingdom? What has he done for you? How has he shown his love to you? How has he shown his faithfulness to you? Let's think about these questions together and then we'll enter back into music worship. Praise forever to the King of Kings. So is he your king? Have you crossed over from death to life and entered his kingdom by believing in him? If you have not chosen to make that happen, 
don't let another day, another hour, another moment go by before you do just that because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Following our service this morning, as always, we will have a Zoom prayer room. It'll come up on your screen. If you would like to enter the kingdom of God, you'd like to pray with someone about anything that's going on in your life, whatever the case may be, we'd love to connect with you. We hope you'll take advantage of that. If you're watching this as a recording in the, in the future to come, we encourage you to go to our website, gracecc.net. At the bottom of our homepage in the footer, there's a prayer link. Please connect with us through that as well. Because if you've entered into right relationship with God through knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by believing in him, then you are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. But instead, they put it on its stand where it can shine and give light to everyone in the room in the same way. Let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Go and live distinctively for him. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.